Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. With a sad sense of duty, we are bringing you the coronavirus edition of the Caixin Seneca Business Brief. The outbreak has dominated headlines in global health and politics, but also in business. We'll cover all of that and more. Ada, first, catch us up on the big picture. How far has the virus spread? What do we know about it? And how are China and the rest of the world reacting? Kaiser, the news is mostly bad. Confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus that sprung up in Wuhan last month and has spread to numerous other countries has now killed over 300 people and infected at least 12,000 more, mostly in China, the number of cases passing that of the SARS epidemic of 2003. Australia and the U.S. increased border restrictions on Saturday, bringing the total number of countries that control the entry of Chinese citizens to 63. Spain, Sweden, Russia, and the U.K. reported the first cases of coronavirus recently. The effects on China's economy have started to show, first in the transportation and hospitality industries. The country's financial regulators aim to boost confidence in financial markets and offer support measures, shelving part of the country's long-running deleveraging campaign. Public health experts are working to better understand the virus and hope its infection rate will peak in coming weeks. But they also say it remains a difficult and dangerous infection, in part because patients are less symptomatic when infected compared to some previous viral outbreaks, increasing the chance for accidental transmission. At least two doctors and a nurse have been assaulted by relatives of coronavirus patients in Wuhan, the city at the epicenter of the outbreak. In one instance last week, an angry man whose father-in-law had died from the virus attacked a doctor and a nurse at the Wuhan No. 4 People's Hospital, hitting them and tearing off their face masks and hazmat suits, police said. The suspect is now in police custody. Because of the wounds and damage to the protective gear, the medical staff has had to be quarantined. Violence against medical staff has long been a problem in China. In December, a Beijing doctor was fatally stabbed by a patient's relative. Forget about the world's largest auto market recovering anytime soon from its unprecedented two-year slump. 
The coronavirus outbreak is shaping up to take a heavy toll on the Chinese economy and send ripples throughout the auto industry. Though concrete estimates of the eventual financial impact are scarce, signs are emerging that the costs will far outweigh those of the 2003 SARS epidemic, when China's auto market was one-sixth the size that it is today and smaller than that of Japan. Automakers, including Tesla, Volkswagen, and Toyota, have warned they expect disruptions, and a top parts supplier predicted carmakers will cut China production 15% this quarter. China's car sales were already heading for the lowest in at least five years before the outbreak forced authorities to lock down the epicenter of Wuhan City and beyond. Now it's unclear when consumers will come back to showrooms, as 14 provinces and cities that accounted for nearly 70% of the country's economy shut businesses and factories until at least the second week of February. Speaking of Chinese industries hit by the coronavirus, the outbreak has cost $150 billion in losses to restaurants, tourism, and movie industries in the seven days of the Lunar New Year holiday, economists estimated. The epidemic has brought large parts of the country to a standstill, and people are being forced to stay home, cancel travel, and avoid gatherings, hammering the service industries. Evergrande think tank estimates that the industry will record half of the sales it did last year. Heidi Law, China's largest hot pot chain, said it would close all of its locations on the mainland until Friday. Heidi Law operates nearly 600 restaurants in 120 cities in mainland China. Zhou Maozhou, another Hong Kong-listed restaurant operator, said it would close its more than 300 restaurants until February 9th. Furniture giant IKEA is temporarily shutting its China stores as well. The latest in a string of Western brands like Starbucks and McDonald's that have made similar moves. All of the Swedish furniture sellers, brick-and-mortar stores in mainland China are closing for the safety of its customers and workers after a partial suspension in the country last week. A reopening date wasn't given, but its online store will operate as usual. IKEA has 33 stores on the Chinese mainland, making the country its fourth-largest market by store count after Germany, the United States, and France. Global coffee giant Starbucks has temporarily closed more than half of its over 4,000 stores on the Chinese mainland, even as its revenue in the region jumped 13% year-on-year to 745 million U.S. dollars in the fiscal quarter that ended December 29th. The market accounts for around 10% of the company's total revenue, it said. Fast food chain McDonald's responded to the outbreak by closing its roughly 300 restaurants in the Wuhan area, and high-tech giant Apple's mass manufacturing base in China is at risk of disruption due to travel restrictions nationwide, which may prevent some employees from crossing provincial borders to get back to work after the Lunar New Year holiday. In addition, Tesla has shut down its factory in Shanghai at the request of the Chinese government, which the company said would delay China-made Model 3 production for a week. And And a half. Though the World Health Organization finally declared the new coronavirus outbreak an international health emergency, it simultaneously advised against restricting travel or trade to China, even as many countries were doing just that. The WHO's Director General repeatedly stressed that the emergency declaration was not a vote of a lack of confidence in China. The organization placed much of its concern on the fact That the virus has spread to countries with weaker health systems, which are ill-prepared to deal with it. 
but the first recommendation it made after the emergency declaration was to oppose countries unnecessarily interfering with international travel and trade. That declaration came as many global airlines, including ones from the U.S., Germany, and Britain, announced mass cancellations and, in some cases, even halted all flights to China. At the same time, some foreign companies have indicated they may stop trading with China to reduce the chances of disruptions that could arise, for example, if Chinese ports are temporarily closed. Okay, so we fibbed a bit. We're sneaking in one non-coronavirus story, just so you don't think we've become obsessed. The British government has given the green light to Huawei Technologies to build part of the country's next-generation 5G network in a controversial decision that the Chinese company welcomed as evidence-based. In its statement last week, the UK government skirted mentioning the Chinese company by making general reference to, quote, high-risk vendors. Such vendors will be allowed to build the UK's 5G mobile network on condition that they are excluded from the core parts of the network, the statement said. They will also be excluded from working on sensitive sites, such as nuclear facilities and military bases. The move is seen as a blow to the U.S. government, which has launched a global campaign to urge allies such as the U.K. to shun the Shenzhen-based company, citing concerns that its gear could be used to spy by the Chinese government. Huawei is a long-term client of the nation's leading telecom operators, but its equipment has largely been kept out of core parts of the country's mobile networks. Analysts expect the latest restrictions placed on Huawei will have little impact on the company's business in the country. The decision made by British Prime Minister Boris Johnson came as little surprise as hints of a similar decision have been swirling for months. Johnson's predecessor, Theresa May, made a similar decision last April, but it was deferred following her resignation amid a row over Brexit. It's seen as a compromise for the UK, which has tried to maintain a balance between its relations with the US, its most important strategic ally, and China, its largest trading partner. The Trump administration condemned the decision, saying it was disappointed. Thanks, Ada. And speaking of medical staff dealing with the coronavirus outbreak and the challenges they're facing, here's Caixin Seneca Business Brief co-producer Tanner Brown in Beijing. Tanner, first of all, step back and give us an overview of the problems that healthcare providers in China face more generally, apart from just this coronavirus. Yet China faces a unique, toxic mix of elements that produces a dangerous environment for clinicians meaning doctors, nurses, specifically people who are usually working in hospital settings. And that mix is that, one, its healthcare system is in a period of chaos and development, rapid development, which means people that had relied on insurance for decades maybe have to try to come up with that money themselves. So that's a whole other story. We won't get into that. But the problem is you have the kind of the healthcare side of it. On the other side, you have the rapid development and, and progress in the quality of Chinese healthcare treatment, of hospitals, of equipment, of the training level of physicians, et cetera. So with this mix, you get things, for instance, like um, bribery is extremely common at hospitals. You can bribe just to get in line to see a physician. And then once you uh, actually get face-to-face -to, -face to see that physician, you may bribe him or her to give him a red envelope to, to ensure that you or your loved one gets the best treatment possible. There are different stages at which you may hand over some money. 
The point here is that you just have here what is an unethical and dangerous uh, mix already as a baseline. And then secondly, you have uh, the lack of um, a developed judicial system in China, which judicial systems often serve as a pressure valve or an outlet for frustrations of citizens. For instance, when something goes wrong, uh, you usually go to court and try to get a redress for that. Well, in China, that's developing, but a lot of patients, for instance, uh, may have had something gone wrong in the hospital and they don't feel that they get proper justice from the judicial system. And so they seek justice by, for instance, attacking a doctor. Uh, and you see really the stories, um, I won't get into the statistics, but you'll see stories, if not weekly, definitely monthly, of clinicians, again, doctors, mainly doctors and nurses, being attacked. We just saw a doctor in Beijing was killed uh, not long ago, highly skilled, recognized eye surgeon, uh, had his hand hacked with a butcher's knife uh, by a patient who had received you know, unsatisfactory treatment. So we'll get to Wuhan right now, but um, the point is it can be dangerous compared to other places in the world, or at least to developed uh, countries, to be a healthcare worker in China. And that's in normal times. Okay, so that is, as you say, in normal times. Now, now talk about Wuhan and, and Hubei province. I'll skip through most of the details on the coronavirus because uh, we've covered that on the podcast, and I'm going to assume readers know a bit of that. But just take a moment and imagine what's going on in, in, in Hubei, and especially in Wuhan, which is that 50, some say 60 million people are being quarantined, prevented from coming or going, and are being and are either sick or being screened for being sick by an understaffed, overstressed healthcare workforce. So I imagine, as Ada told us about the doctor's attack there, I imagine we will hear numerous more stories like that. There are probably stories that we won't hear about that that nevertheless happened because of the frustration on the part of patients and clinicians. There are reports that in Hubei, some roughly half a million healthcare professionals had been asked last week to, during the, which is the, was the Lunar New Year holiday week, uh, to work, to, to take care of patients. Um, so this was, number one, a dangerous environment. Number two, they were asked to do overtime. And number three, it was during their holiday. So that's number one. Uh, Beijing itself has sent reportedly several thousand, maybe 6,000 clinicians to help, uh, and it has sent several units of the People's Liberation Army. Uh, the army itself is is running several of the hospitals that are at the center of the epidemic, including the two that are the, the, the famous two hospitals that will be built in 10 days that everyone may have heard about. Those are scheduled to open, uh, I think, February 3rd and February 5th. And apparently they are on schedule to open. I mean, they'll be very basic, rudimentary hospitals, but a lot of people don't remember that during SARS in 2003, 2002, 2003, Beijing built a hospital in, I think it was a week, that had somewhere near a similar 1,000-bed capacity. So China has done this before. But even with all this help coming in from the outside, you have what a lot of people don't realize is a huge province of millions of people and Wuhan, a huge city, with hundreds of thousands of, of people who need medical care for completely unrelated reasons, reasons unrelated to the, the coronavirus outbreak. 
Um, you have people who are in hospital, um, maybe they have cancer or they've just come down with some disease that's unrelated. And so these people needing care puts further stress on the taking care of the, the virus, the coronavirus, but also the virus that needing attention puts stress on on these patients, these sort of non-coronavirus patients, and, and unfortunately probably reduces the quality of care that everyone is receiving. Tanner, there were early reports about lack of supplies in Wuhan. What is the situation now? Has it improved? From what I've read in general, the supply shortage, meaning medical gear and equipment and you know surgical masks, things like that, has gotten dramatically better. Uh, the caveat there is that dramatically better from a very low baseline. So dramatically better, yes, but from what was quite bad. Uh, secondly, I'll say that we are still seeing, as of uh, listeners are going to be hearing this in early February, as of Saturday, February 1st, we were still seeing occasional reports of clinicians in Wuhan requesting better and additional equipment, saying, what well, we have, thank you for you know the improvements, but we need better, we need more. Um, specifically, they need um, single-use items, single-use suits and masks because they just don't have the bandwidth to clean and repeatedly use suits. So that was one thing we kept seeing uh, popping up. Quality is an issue and quantity. But, uh, but yeah, things have gotten better. So Tanner, quickly tell us about the doctors who were accused in late December and early January of, of quote-unquote, spreading rumors. Okay, I, I, we're running out of time, so I'll make this quick. But we had heard early in the, the outbreak that, I mean, rumors, of course, with all social media are, were completely all over the place on WeChat. And you know, it's got to be pretty tough for WeChat to handle a lot of these rumors. But but we had heard that several people had been detained for spreading rumors about the disease. Well, some weeks go by and we learned that eight of these people had not, had not actually been spreading rumors, but what they had been doing were calling attention to the disease outbreak accurately quite early in the outbreak, earlier than the healthcare system had recognized. And then the craziest part, and the part that had frustrated has frustrated a lot of people, is that it turns out th- these eight are doctors. So uh, all this news has just emerged, and we have just some scant details on it. But I'll quickly go through those. So the story goes uh, is that an ophthalmologist, so an eye doctor, was seeing a patient, and um, she had a bad cough, and he recommended she get uh, a lung scan. And it turned out she had pneumonia. And uh, later, the doctor himself and several of his family members came down with the similar symptoms that she had. Well, anyways, this doctor sent a WeChat message to his uh, medical school, I think, alumni group on WeChat, you know, a big WeChat group, that he knew of seven patients that had been quarantined for a SARS or SARS-like virus. And that message that he sent, a screenshot of that, was sent by someone in the WeChat group to the hospital upper echelon. And this doctor was summoned by those the powers that be. And reportedly, he and seven others physicians were punished. There are reports whether they were detained, we don't ex- know exactly how long, whether they were uh, suspended temporarily, uh, the exact level of punishment they received, we don't know. But what we do know is that they were bringing to attention information 
that could have expedited the beginning of the tackling of this epidemic. His case did go to court, and he was vindicated, and and the um, the Supreme People's Court in Wuhan um, went so far as to say that had had they been listened to, the public and workers may have started to wear masks and carry out. Uh, you know, sanitation measures. They even mentioned the wild animal market, avoiding the wild animal market. So it was a bit unusual to hear the the court take such a strong stance uh, against the authorities that had wrongfully detained and punished these healthcare officials. So I'm sure there'll be more stories, unfortunately, of hardships of these medical professionals. But I think it's just uh, good to keep in mind that um, they don't often get a lot of recognition. They're not paid here in China millions of dollars like they are in the States, of course, and um, and it's a hard job. So we'll keep you posted. All right, Tyler, thanks for that. And we will talk to you again soon. Stay well. All right, thanks, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Saishin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Saishin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at SupChina.com. Take care. <laughs>